You're listening to Pastor's Standing Firm Podcast. I am your host, Pastor Brian Bauer, and we are super excited about our guest today. I know I am. He is a new friend in my life, but an awesome man of God who's been in ministry for quite a long time now. Uh, but uh, Clen Curvilla, Pastor Clen Curvilla, he is a multinational, a man grew up in Kuwait and then Canada, eventually made his way to the States. Today we're going to be talking about a little bit about race in the church. We probably won't solve that issue today. It's That's maybe a two-parter, then we'll get it solved, right? <laughs> but but uh, but we're gonna try. We're gonna try and just tackle some of the issues from a biblical perspective. But before we do that, Pastor Clen, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Uh, how'd you get there? How'd you get to where you are? Married, kids, all that good stuff. Yeah, awesome. Hey, thanks for having me, uh, Brian and Jeremiah. It's an honor to be on the podcast today and. Uh, man, I, I grew up in uh, the country uh, of Kuwait in the Middle East um, to Indian parents. So both both of my parents are Indian, was, was raised in the Middle East. Uh, we went through the Desert Storm, or refugees uh, for a little bit there during the Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. Um, left Kuwait uh, to Canada when I was in high school. Okay. And so even though I sound like this, I'm more of an immigrant than what most people perceive. And uh, spend a few years there in Canada. That's where my parents settled down. And then I've been in the States ever since um, in ministry, full-time ministry. Uh, right now, uh, we're located in Cleveland, Ohio. Been all over uh, the States serving incredible churches and leaders. And now we're leading a church um, in the heart of the east side uh, called the Heights area of Cleveland mm-hmm. near University Circle. And so... Uh, honored, got a wife, four kids, and uh, just just uh, a whirlwind of following God through well, faith. I, I do got to say, Kuwait to Cleveland sounds like a pretty good title for a book. I'm just saying. Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it's free. You can take it or leave it. It's up to you. I'll write <laughs> it, but it won't make any sense. So, <laughs> so, so you are. Um, not white, right? Uh, I am quite white. I, I like mayonnaise. I cannot jump, and uh, dancing, and I don't. Do you like spicy food? I do like spicy food, actually. All right, there you go. I did. I though if I remember in high school, I had a I had a uh, Indian friend, a Hindi friend, and he he invited me over, and he said, you know, I was really hungry. I said, do you have anything? He goes, well, I have some leftover soup. I'm like, great. He goes. But do you like spicy foods? And I was like, Oh yeah, no, I love spicy foods. He goes, Come on. And he, but he looked at me. And he's like, Indian food is not like your spicy food. It's a lot spicier. <laughs> well, it's flavorful. It's flavorful. You you got you got to take people through the the flavor first. And mm. uh, I know even my own wife when she was introduced to my culture, and she never ate this stuff before. But it, you know, sure. just like any culture. Uh, Indian food has stuff that you don't want to touch. And, and here's the hint. Anything that's green, you're pr- probably not going to like as a Western American. Mm. Mm. So just uh, when you're in an Indian restaurant and you're selecting something, here's a quick tip. Say, hey, I like the, the way this thing sounds, but is it green? 
And if they're like, yeah, it is, and be like, all right, I need something else that's not green in color. <laughs> that's a good note. I, d- I was not aware of that note, but I, I did enjoy the soup, but it was red, not green. And he said yeah. it was less spicy. So, but I, I do eat Indian food semi regularly. So, um, so with that said, we were actually having this discussion on the phone the other day, and I said, "Man, we we got to have this discussion on the podcast." And we are now living in a time where, first, the, I guess the first thing I want to talk about, or let you talk about, is most people don't realize racism in the last about ten years in the public sphere has been redefined can you talk about that for a minute yeah so you know i think this and you mentioned this already i think that uh, so many people have different experiences um to what uh you know you would consider um racism and um for me um, in particular i think that uh it really depends on your worldview uh, it, you see a worldview yep. that really impacts uh, the definition of these terms. Mm-hmm. And in particularly in America, it is a hot topic, but for the right reasons sometimes. And then there's, there's, there's other times where race is used in uh, political terms. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, you know, when, you, when you address these things, you know, uh, race is such a personal thing when it comes to minority ethnic groups yeah it's not a um problem to solve necessarily it's a problem to have a conversation around and so for me in the last 10 years uh the hardest thing of what i see is the fact that we can't talk about it because mm. it's getting harder and harder to talk about because of the polarization of mm. the hot topic of mm-hmm. racism mm-hmm. it means so much to different people I think uh, when it comes to politics, as I mentioned, it's leveraged for different parties, who's for it, who's against it, who stands on which side. When it comes to issues of justice reform and when it comes to issues um, of um, reconciliation, um, you know, you find different entities, including the church, I would say, Mm -hmm. that we're just not leading in these conversations, mm-hmm. uh, we're taking more of a backseat approach to uh, being a house for the wounded, uh, per se, or those who uh, are for it or against it. Uh, we need to be leading. And so when I look at it over the t- last 10 years, mm-hmm. I just don't see a lot of people leading the discussion. I do see a lot of virtual signaling. I see a lot of um, sides that are being uh, taken, hard stances mm-hmm. that are being portrayed, um, you know, almost teams that are that are formed. And I think that's part of the dichotomy of America. Uh, it's a very two-dimensional uh, echo chamber, you know, whether it's um, uh, the way we do um, uh, handle money, whether the, the way we handle winning and losing with our sports teams, uh, this society has this idea of, hey, if you if you are on my team, I need you in this category. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard. Uh, I, I tell a lot of people, uh, you know, in the in, in a global perspective, um, you think in terms of seasons. You don't think in terms of wins and losses, ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. And so you're able to come to a table 
to connect Mm -hmm. and to learn and to hear. And things are so much more clearer because you're in a learning posture. Uh, Here in a a country that has, it's basically the information center of the world, Mm -hmm. uh, America is, it's hard to really captivate people in that manner because they've already decided where they stand in the subject. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Um, just on a personal note, if you, if you don't mind talking on it. Yeah. What obviously I'm, I'm sure you've experienced racism at some point in your life. I would imagine. So, and, and what do you define racism as versus right now? I would, I, I might argue the current, the new definition of racism is really Marxism repackaged, right? It's, a, it's about power structures and who's in power and who's in the majority and anybody in the minority is, can't be racist by definition because the new definition is Marxism and it's all about power structures versus valuing or devaluing somebody based on their skin color, their nationality, uh, their yeah. ethnic background. Um, so we've redefined terms here. What, what experience have you had in that? So, uh, you know, we talked about this the other day, you know, a little bit. Um, let me just uh, get to it head on mm-hmm. uh, and add to what I was just Go for uh, talking. It. Don't hold back, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's this idea of is America racist today? And then on the other side, does a racism exist uh, today? Uh, these questions that keep uh, swirling. Uh, does racism exist today? Let me say yes. Sure. It, of course. Uh, is America racist? I would say no. And and this is um, this isn't talking about systemic racism that is prevalent in much of the systems mm-hmm. uh, of society. Mm. Uh, this isn't talking about people's experiences. Mm-hmm. Have I had racism uh, against me? Yeah. I mean, I ministered in the South. Mm-hmm. And if there's racism in the church, can you really uh, blame um, those who are outside of the Christ culture, the Jesus culture, the gospel culture, who have no idea of how to relate to a, another culture, how to come to that place? Because, you know, what we preach as believers is that the cross is the meeting ground, Amen. right? Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, you know, uh, reconciliation. And I think that reconciliation is such an important piece of the equation, but our God is also a just God. Mm -hmm. So we do need to fight for uh, people's rights. We do need to fight for reform. But just as we can't label um, uh, everybody as being oppressed, uh, we can't label everybody as being an oppressor. Um, we, we can't do that. And this is the gospel narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's what I believe, right? Uh, that's what we believe is the solution to these ideas, whether, you know, people call it Marxism, CRT, mm-hmm. uh, conservatives speak of it a certain way, liberals speak of it a certain way. The idea is the gospel has the answer and the answer is not combating these definitions 
as society tells us they are, mm -hmm. but to lead with the solution of Jesus and justice and reconciliation going hand in hand. Yeah, I'll give you a personal experience. Um, I've done some um, um, consulting here and there over the years. I remember uh, I was sitting in a uh, club in a downtown building, a massive high rise. Mm -hmm. And I remember the experience of sitting there in this invite only lounge, primarily Caucasians all around me. And man, it was going well. Uh, this, this meeting, I was helping the city out. Uh, a couple of um, organizations. And at the end of the meeting, a guy just turned to me real nice. And, you know, he's just a good um, uh, Southern gentleman. He said, hey, man, you look like you got it together. <laughs> and I thought he was about to compliment me. And, uh, you know, he just looked at uh, me and he held kind of a, uh, his palm and the skin of um, his hand. And he said, but you can't change this. This is never going to change. And you better remember that. I remember thinking, you know, sometimes it's so shocking that, you know, in the last 10 years, or you know, maybe for some of the people listening, they experience these things, and it's happening. Mm -hmm. I, I still am able to separate that individual from labeling everybody on that floor right. <laughs> as racist, and to say that that experience was an experience of racism. And it's not okay, and biblically, it is sin. But my, my job in that moment as a believer is to bring justice and reconciliation through who I am into the world. Mm -hmm. uh, to give you a, a testimony on that, um, this person um, later was water baptized hmm. in the next few months, wow. gave his heart to God. And I've been. Um, I've been so blessed in my time ministering mm. in America because I feel compelled and called yeah. uh, to be a force for yeah. this reconciliation and justice reform um, to, to really bring uh, a solution yeah. to the table and not just be like, hey, I'm blaming my public school uh, for uh, implementing racist uh, policies or whether it's against whites or against blacks or against mm -hmm. Hispanics or yeah. you know, brown or whatever. Um, I don't think hashtags are going to save America. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, um, I, I agree. I agree. And first, I mean, you know, that's an example. Um, when I hear something like that, I, I'm I'm sure it doesn't it doesn't affect me as personally, but I'm also still just appalled. I, I always think, how could anybody think this way? How does anybody yeah. value somebody based on their skin tone? It's yeah. so foreign. You know, I grew up with black people in my family. I grew up with Hispanic people in my family uh, on this on the edge of the south side of Chicago. So when it was in my family. It was in my world. It was in my life. I guess it was so foreign to me. It wasn't until years later when they're like, oh, racism exists. You know, I, I, the other day we actually saw a car driving down the road that had the, they were towing, it was a race car of the General Lee, you know, from the Dukes of Hazard, And it had the Confederate flag on top. And I remember watching that as a kid, five, seven years old. Just being like, this show's awesome. Years later, you find out, hey, that that's wildly offensive to some people because, you know, I, and I don't need to tell the reasons. And if so... Right. Do some homework. So, but I, even then, you know, it, 
it evaded me. Yeah. And then, but fast forward to now, now we've changed the game again, right? At least one side of the aisle says you're either now anti-racist or you are racist. Right. And there's right. no, like you're saying, there's no middle ground. There's no nuance. There's no conversation. It's this label or it's that label. Right. And, and, and that, again, is such a custom conversation. It is, it is a conversation that needs to happen in the moment mm. to what is being addressed. Don't um, you think also that's a way of controlling the conversation? Sometimes. Uh, sometimes I think that it's leveraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of racism from a global perspective, because, you know, racism, it doesn't just exist. In America. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Racism exists across the world, even within um, within continents, subcontinents, mm-hmm. within countries, uh, within states, uh, within countries. I'm pretty uh, sure I read America invented all the things. <laughs> no, I hate to say it, um, you know, and and so when it comes to these ideas and ideals and um uh, conversations and and terminologies. Um, America is such a young country, and I think this is something that most people don't realize. Yeah, this is so good. Unpack this. It's a young country. It's just a few hundred years old. Right. It has not had the ability because of its blessing mm-hmm. to really understand how society should function to mm-hmm. be healthy and whole. And so what has driven this society has very much been power and money mm-hmm. and success is driven in those terms, money and power. A lot of times that power comes from money. Uh, I would say that many of the channels of our culture in America are actually based with the uh, leverage of money and influence. I, I even know, even in the, our church world, come on, uh, denominations and missions programs and, and different things like that are based on money. And so if the topic of a, a sense of injustice or, or a sense of indifference mm. uh, is based on that, uh, then there, there, there's different, there's different uh, definitions to these things. Like maybe it's not racism, maybe it's classism. Mm. You know mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the, the fact that, hey, um, you know, I don't like a, a brown person. Maybe it's the fact that uh, they're trying to avoid this class of people. Uh, and, and, and so when you're talking to people specifically, you have to really have that worldview and understanding to know where they're coming from, not just what they're saying, but what is the topic in the context at hand? Uh, when we talk about police brutality mm-hmm. and racism, these are specific subjects that cannot be labeled as education and, and, and lack of equity mm. uh, in education. You get what I mean? And so we can't make this big jambalaya and give it this label of, of racism. So in America, we're still figuring these things out. Mm-hmm. These things have not been talked about. Yeah. And sadly, in, in my, in my uh, case, I feel like the church 
Uh, you've heard of this, you know, this has been part of songs and bands, uh, made songs about this. The, the fact that the church has always uh, been missing in this conversation. And I'm not talking about the last couple of years, um, uh, repenting and, you know, um, giving um, awareness and, and certainly accepting uh, the things that have happened with George Floyd, the terrible tragedy that it was. Um, and and how that that it was so visible, right? Because of media today, right, right. it's so visible. But we're not going beyond that. Mm-hmm. We need to go beyond that, and America is not ready to go beyond that because this mm-hmm. might be the first time that we are allowing everybody to have a voice, mm-hmm. and so there there needs to be a sense of healing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you think about cultures like India, for example, mm-hmm. uh, racism still exists in India. Right, caste uh, system. In the Middle right. You know, I was born there. My father's, uh, I, he was there since um, the 70s. Mm-hmm. And they will not give you, Kuwait will not give you citizenship if you are not native to the country. Mm. So if my parents are not Kuwaiti, I cannot right. be Kuwaiti. Yeah, I cannot and, own property there. In tandem with Canada, I've I've had multiple friends who've tried to emigrate to Canada. And uh, mm-hmm. Canada, basically, if you're not the top tier, they're not letting you in. They, you won't get citizenship, right? Well, it's... Oh, that's I mean, that's it's not as race-based, but, you know, whereas in America, give us your tired, you're hungry, you're poor... Canada's like, we'll take your doctors, your lawyers, and your and your celebrities. <laughs> I mean, there, but I would say, you know, in my experience, I think the opposite is true now, depending on the political power mm. in, in party. Sure. Because again, it is the narrative that we are trying to address as a society. We keep putting band-aids and we call that healing. Mm. You give it a yeah. we need to do surgery man we gotta we gotta get into it and uh, i know my wife and i talk about this uh, often uh, she's caucasian and i know she has a specific uh, perspective of what it means when these topics uh, are invading um, hey my my child who's a mixed kid was on the slide the other day and uh, she was just waiting i mean she's three years old and just waiting to go down this massive slide and kids were like, you know, she's a racist. And it was not Caucasian kids saying that. And so there's just this big, um, there's this big need. Wait, wait, wait. To- Why are they calling your daughter a racist? Because that's what I'm trying to say is that America, that this uh, subject of racism is becoming so messy because it's not defined with clarity. It's not defined for healing. It's defined to mobilize people for activism. That, wow, it's not- man, that was powerful. Say that again. <laughs> so these topics and these terms, uh, they're being um, given out, uh, propagated on us right. to mobilize people for activism, not for healing. Right. We're not trying to solve the problem of racism. We're trying to leverage it. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I got to be honest. I mean, uh, when I first came to Canada, I had never seen Caucasian people outside of army gear Hmm. uh, when I was in Kuwait. I'd never seen Caucasian people. Hmm. And uh, to see Toronto in in the multi-ethnic 
multinational. I mean, it's the most diverse city in the world. At least mm. a few years ago, it was. And, and to see everybody operating in a manner mm. that respected where each culture and individual and background was, and to give every person an opportunity today, mm-hmm. not based on uh, yesterday, but on today. And uh, were there racist people? Yes. But that's a today thing, right? Like ignorance is not okay today, right? Yeah. Right, Brian? Right. It's not okay. Like you should know better. You know, uh, you can't just blame it on ignorance. Uh, you got to go ahead and say uh, that, hey, right is right and wrong is wrong. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I propagate my narrative over you mm-hmm. and lower the uh, bar of equity to make you understand. I, I like to put it this way. So the illustration for equity is, is simply this, that um, other people have larger ladders than you, okay? And so instead of giving a person who's underserved or, or, or who is experiencing injustice or the system needs to be changed, w- instead of giving a, a larger ladder and a hand up, mm-hmm. right? What we end up doing in society is we chop everybody else's ladders down. That's right. Yeah. We're like, hey, you know what? You don't deserve yeah. that ladder. <laughs> we, we're going to make sure that, and I just don't think, and I know uh, I have a lot of friends, um, uh, good friends, man. And, and I'm telling you, uh, you know, in these conversations, uh, I just tell them, I am not African-American. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, that doesn't mean that I haven't experienced um, racism, but I've not experienced profiling from police, sure, maybe right. as some of the statistics, uh, the stats put out. Right. Uh, I'm looked at as a person that's educated, maybe because of the way I talk. But, but I have experienced uh, systemic injustice, and maybe even areas where sometimes I feel like opportunities that I get, man, are harder to get. But I really dig deep mm. and I look at it from a perspective of saying, I'm paving the way right. for future generations. I'm paving the way so that there can be a, a, a head on address. So I'm not going to be stuck here by doing activism and being like, Hey, this is wrong. This is terrible. And, and uh, this person needs to be dealt with. I mean, those all may be true, mm. but I want to go beyond Mm-hmm. I want to go beyond and and hit the nail on the head and say, hey, you know what? What are we going to do to change it? Mm-hmm. And let's go ahead and be- begin the healing process in these areas. And within the denomination that we're part of, uh, right. Brian, uh, this is one of the things that I've been very passionate about, mm. uh, you know, to say that we cannot treat ethnic leaders, uh, minority ethnic leaders, African-American leaders, Hispanic leaders, Asian leaders, uh, wherever they're from, as a, a subgroup, you you got to right, go ahead because in the end, doesn't that perpetuate the problem, not not isolate it? Absolutely, it will not. It will not allow for that healing process to happen, which involves right. all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues at the table. I recently was writing about this, and I I just wrote a friend, you know. Galatians 3.28 tells us there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. 
you're all one in Christ Jesus. If we redefine that on the current climate, culture, you know, or even the last 200 years of our country, we're still redefining it based on a worldview that isn't biblical. Correct. And that's why if there's anything, uh, any parent listening to this podcast, any pastor, any leader, any uh, business person listening, any teacher, school administrator, it is not the awareness um, or the acceptance um, of the topic at hand or the stance that you're taking that brings resolution or solutions. It's this idea to say that the gospel narrative has to infiltrate our worldviews again. It has to be the filter. We are citizens of heaven first. This has to be, and we're missing the opportunity, man. I tell you, from the pulpits, it, we're just like, and I know, I know this is hard. You know, one of the, my favorite things, kind of a, a funny thing to talk about, but I I didn't really experience a lot of the craziness that pastors experienced uh, last year during the pandemic because, number one, I'm not white or black. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. If you come to me and you start saying stuff, you may sound racist mm -hmm. from either side because you're going to be like, I wonder where he stands on this. So everybody's kind of a little, uh, you know, fearful of talking to me about things. And then number two, I'm Canadian and I couldn't vote. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so if anybody tried to tell me, hey, man, you know, where do you stand on this topic? I just tell them, hey, man, I'm Canadian. I can't vote. I actually got to vote <laughs> in another election uh, every few years. Right. And so world is much larger and kingdom culture guys mm -hmm. it's much larger right like we're reaching you know uh, our denomination we're reaching the world not because they don't have enough mm -hmm. we're reaching the world because the gospel compels us to yeah and we can help them out we can help them out in different areas you know get what i'm saying so it's a different uh, perspective. Uh, it's, it's a different mindset. I would argue it's more biblically holistic than it is um, really, I think, a great deal of our solutions to the problems of racism in the church, in America. Um, they're just oversimplifications. Yeah. Um, we, we, we talk about it in complex manners, but they're still oversimplifications. Well, you, you don't have a black guy here, so that's what you got to have. Like, maybe, maybe that is the solution. Um, right. I'm not saying it isn't, right. but it, that feels, I've solved the problem of everybody's, everybody with a different color skin than mine by putting a person in a position. Doesn't that minimize everybody else? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that... And I see that perspective, and that's why, that's why we have the book of Revelations. Right. Believers, that's why we have the book of Revelations. Mm -hmm. uh, what does it say? Every tribe, right. every, every nation, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. will bow at the feet of Jesus. Right. And what I love about that scripture is it's not exemplifying the tribes and the nations. It's, 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 it's honoring the name of Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know, you know the story of the Tower of Babel. 
um, you know what was happening because of the fact that there was unity and what the Lord did in order for that to be broken up. And the reason why he did, because sometimes when we make these topics, whether it's race or anything else, more important than the gospel mm. definition, mm. you know, I had never seen more people uh, quote uh, Old Testament scriptures of justice uh, right, they were Christians last year. Yeah, no joke. Right. Yeah. I was like, there's certain the book and really realize why these books were written specifically in the context of Israel to realize what was really going on, and all of that was because people were walking away from God. The presence of God was no longer in the temple. God removed it, and mm. so we cannot again go down the path of reconciliation without justice. Absolutely. 100% agree. But we cannot have justice without reconciliation, and we have to start with the end in mind. The end in mind is we know, right? We know that Jesus is going to be worshipped by every person, that no man can go into heaven. This is not our home. Yes, God has called us to really pour into culture and to uh, help culture uh, today and to help form Christian values today. But I would argue that there is nowhere in the Bible that it makes America, let me just say this, the center of the world. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if it was, then, you know, we'll we talk all about know that. Trump is Cyrus and and uh, <laughs> we're the new Jerusalem and something about seven points of judgment and the Statue of Liberty. I don't know. <laughs> I'm totally lost. Uh, no, totally agree with you, Clint. Keep going. I'm just I'm just cracking jokes. Go ahead. No, no, no. I and I get it. You know, everybody do your part and you got to vote for your values. But you cannot, and let me just encourage people, uh, there's statistics that are coming out now um, that in the next 30 years, mm. that the majority of Americans are going to have mixed heritage. Mm. I, I wonder right. <laughs> if 80 years from now, 100 years from now, I wonder if people are going to look back and they're going to laugh. Mm-hmm. At the polarization and how this polarization was leveraged. I, I wonder what our children and our children's children, as they are coming through life and they're saying, again, this is my, my passion is for the church. I mean, it is for the church, the body of Christ and the love Christ has for his world. I wonder as we continue in this pathway of defining race and we continue in the pathway of making um, different changes to organizations, as you suppose, you know, like, Hey, let's have a Brown person on the stage. Let's, let's have, let's add Clen to the table to make us look more uh, diverse. Uh, well, are we really doing that? So let me, let me challenge that notion. Mm. Yeah. If you are doing that, if you are actually saying, Hey, I, I want to do that. And I want representation. Is the representation allowed through multicultural expression at the table? Mm-hmm. Or is it just the fact that you're using my skin color mm-hmm. for affirmative action? Right. At the end of the day, aren't we, we, we don't want to admit we're still solving the world's problems uh, with the world's answers. 
Uh, we, we think we're embracing diversity by doing this. We, you know, we've gone a new direction. We think we're, we're doing, and it's like, no, we're just embracing the bad pendulum swing, you know? And that's why we are leading from behind. That's why the mm-hmm. church is irrelevant today in not just this topic, but in almost every topic. If you look at renewal history, church history, when revival happened is when the church took its theology onto the streets, not to propagate a sense of belonging, but to propagate solutions to what we see. The early church rose up and accepted women into uh, who into their leadership That's polity, right. into their yeah. structures, into what they were doing. They accepted women at the table. They accepted minorities, but it wasn't with programs and cultural norms. It was with the fact that they were going to minister to those who were in need. Mm-hmm. Man, come on, bro, come on. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, there's a modern picture of the a picture of this. If anybody wants to check it out, and it's not fully uh, Christ based by any means. Um, but there's a there's a documentary came out a few years ago, 2016, uh, called "Accidental Courtesy" about Daryl Davis race in America. Are, have you are you familiar with it, Clint? Have you seen it? Part of it, man, but I've uh, not had a chance. So I've watched it. One of the reasons I actually watched it is one of the guys that's at the end of it that was head of a KKK or neo Nazi unit is actually the half-brother of a very close friend of mine from years ago. Um, wow. And uh, so I, I felt very compelled. Like, I need to see this. So Daryl Davis is a, is, an, is, a, is a black man who he played piano for Elvis. He's a, he's a dynamo piano player. And somehow fell backwards into a, not career, but lifestyle of converting neo-Nazis and KKK members. Mm. And he's got closets full of grand dragon robes and and all, all this thing. Now this is pre George Floyd, but uh, and and everything that happened in the summer of 2020. But he has a moment. There's a moment in the film where he sits with BLM leaders in Baltimore, and they basically, towards the end of that scene, start threatening his life mm-hmm. because he's making the argument: "You're not solving this problem. I can. Mm-hmm. I, I have. I have lists of names of guys who I've changed their heart." By becoming yeah. their friend and showing them, you doing this is I'm an individual, I'm a person, and this is foolishness. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. You could call it hate. It, it's. It's not even as smart as hate. It's just stupidity, right? <laughs> um, you Come know, on. and and he and he changes them, and not to say that there there's been no good in in. And anything BLM's done since, or in, in in protest that no good has come from it, I I I have no qualifications for that to know. But what I would say, like that mentality of Daryl Davis said, I'm going to make you see this as an individual issue and not a uh, not a uh, not classifying people in groups according to their skin tone. I mean, I, I, you know, I know. And even as you're talking, Brian, mm-hmm. I can't imagine how people are putting you in a box just with, with what you're saying and how you're saying it. You know, it's so unfortunate. That right. I'm not allowed lost. to say it, am I? You're not allowed to. Right. <laughs> and here's what's yeah. funny. Here's my response. Like, I never get into it. I'll tell you because we're on the podcast, Clint, but I'm not allowed to because, hey, you're white. And 
yes, I am. I'm I'm pretty white. I I don't dance. Um, I uh, uh, I'm not cool. I'm not hip. I recognize all that. Um, and and but at the same time, like I would actually tell most people, I said, you know, I'm historically I'm I'm actually quite a bit of a mutt on my mom's side. I'm I'm Irish and Scottish who can't really trace their immigration because they were too poor and considered dirty Irish people. So they didn't get records. It was like, be lucky to find a job. You know, that's what people don't realize is, you know, just 150 years ago, even a hundred years ago. uh, Yep. The, and there's not to minimize the worst racism of course was experienced by African Americans, black people in this country more than any uh, other people group, undoubtedly. But it wasn't that long ago. Italians, Irish people, they they weren't allowed jobs, you know, or they were only allowed the lesser jobs. And on my father's side, I'm uh, he's a Ger- uh, it was a German immigrant farmer married a Sioux Indian woman, who mm-hmm. I can't find the records of because an, a grandmother after her burned all the family records because she was embarrassed of being uh, Sioux Indian um, wow. in in our in our heritage. So when people say, "Well, you're white," I, yeah. But I don't really know what I'm just a, a mutt mixture of a lot of different things where and in the 19 probably 1915, 1925, I, I couldn't have got a better job than in a factory. Now, that being said, a, a black person couldn't have gotten even that job fully aware. Right. But it's all I would argue, isn't it all somewhat scalable and foolish to solve outside of a biblical worldview? It is. And we have to be um, as uh, astute and wise to speak to culture by painting a different picture mm-hmm. they don't have. We can't expect um, those who don't have this um, gift, a free gift of salvation, that no man can boast to um, uh, to have that perspective when they've not had Jesus in their heart and life. That's just that's just listen. The, the story about the, the the meeting that I had with with that uh, that business um, yeah. person. Um, you know, my response to him, and it was really the Holy Spirit leading me in that moment. As soon as he said what he said about my skin color, and I said, "Hey, you know, let me give you a perspective." I mean, this guy is a powerful individual mm. in that city. Um, yeah, here in this city, yeah, you, you may be the majority, but in the world, uh, wide, uh, globe, you know, two to two and a half out of every seven people are either Indian or Chinese. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and so really, bro, you're, you're, this is such a, a small world view in your little small town. Right. And see, I was able to say something to him that actually broke down his worldview of wow. saying, wait a minute, that is true. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, what we think of sometimes even, uh, you know, many conservatives will say this, you know, this one world thing. Well, you know what? I'm believing that heaven is our destination and then God is going to give us solutions even as we go towards these end times. And, you know, the last day started, as uh, Luke writes in the book of Acts, it started as soon as Jesus ascends to heaven. These are the last days. Mm. You know, a lot of people think that there's specific things, and the frequency is certainly getting 
um, more and more frequent with the things that Jesus prophesied about. But here is what I'm saying is that God is not going to leave this earth without a witness mm. until the end of time, right? Mm -hmm. Until right when, when he's coming back. And so my thing is this, what is God asking you to do? Like, I love the fact that you guys are talking about this. I love that you wanted to say, hey, you know what? I want to talk about it. It's not easy being you and putting this out there. It's not. And, and yeah. I, I will admit at this point, um, by people I know and dearly love, I was, I remember a few years ago when uh, J-Lo J -Lo and Shakira did their halftime show and it was, you know, it was, it was debauchery. It was, a, it was a literal strip show. I mean, Shakira was flinging a rope around as a phallic symbol and then J-Lo danced on a pole as a stripper. And I, foolishly in my own admittance now, I, I kind of went on Facebook, you know, as one solves problems to do. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, just said I was so disappointed, disgraced. And a Hispanic friend who knows me well, knows me, just called me a racist. And, and, and it's still my friend, right? Yeah. Said that's a racist view because they don't understand Latina culture. Well, it's, or Latino culture, and my my response, I didn't, I didn't argue with him. Uh, what I, what they don't know is like, well, I've been to Latin America multiple times on mission trips. I have many Hispanic friends and 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 family. Um, uh, I'm I'm pretty familiar, and I think you are debasing your own culture by defining it with sexuality. Um, the, yeah. See, th this is again, we're going back to that cultural definition of oppression mm -hmm. women are, are 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 oppressed women cannot um express themselves you right. know look i in in, in I, you know in my house it's a it's a house full of women um in my home um many of the leaders in the church i lead uh are women um uh, the most of most of the congregation uh i told you this before is african-american mm -hmm. listen th there's a reason why we even named christ culture christ culture mm. because christ is the solution to a matthew 16 um I love the scripture, and this is where the name Christ Culture came from for our church, but it's so relevant to this discussion. Mm. Uh, Jesus saying, hey, who do people say I am? What an incredible opportunity for us mm. to really hone into what Jesus was saying, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Who is Jesus? Mm. And I love what Jesus asked, asked the disciples, well, who do you say I am? Like, I know what others are saying, right? Mm. I know what the world might be saying about me. I may be a resurrected prophet, maybe John the Baptist. I, I know the world, but who do you say? And then Peter, loudmouth Peter, the guy that chops <laughs> off people's ears and yeah. walks on water and starts sinking in the whole nine years. He says this. He said, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And then Jesus says to him, this flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Mm. It is time that we start having revelation from heaven on topics of racism, injustice, reconciliation, when it comes to things where inequality is happening. How do we address those things? Well, we're spirit-filled people. Mm -hmm. 
Let God lead us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, uh, Jesus says that he gives us the Holy Spirit so that the, the red letters become alive to us. Otherwise, it's just information. Well, leverage it in these conversations. Leverage it in our school board meetings. Yeah. Leverage yeah. it on our stage. And we got to start having believers back in politics and law mm-hmm. for reform. Right. We got to have believers back in schools. Stop giving up on public schools. Get back in there. Come on, let's let's be missional about this. Let's stop just giving money to missions and calling them missions. That's awesome. That's great. Going on short-term trips. We do all those things. But why not go to the next level and say, you know what? Judea is we are going to conquer our Judea in every channel of culture. And we are not going to just preach redefinition, but we are going to be the source of solution and serve the racist and the person mm-hmm. who's experiencing racism. Mm-hmm. We are going to serve both people. That's what Jesus came. That's so I think good. this bro, a couple of years ago, he preached a message, right? He called it like towels not titles i think that was a message that he preached on a few years ago and that's exactly what we need man mm. more towels mm. wash people's feet yeah and so less good. titles we had a we had a few years uh, a couple years ago um we had a we had a woman show up in our church in the in the heat of the election time and and such and and uh, she showed up in a big maga hat maga shirt and nice. one of our people, I don't know, like, is that the church we're becoming? And they talked to me, and and they they agreed with me in the end. It wasn't uh, wasn't disagreement. And I just said, well, man, I hope so. Mm. I, Come I, on, I hope, I hope, I hope that person and the person with the Biden hair shirt can worship mm-hmm. alongside each other and encounter the living God, and then and then burn both those shirts and put on the Jesus shirt, you know, <laughs> and say, bring it, you know, like, uh, no, it's it's not of this world. Uh, come on and and live out the kingdom here now and stop stop using the world's answers to solve issues (laughs) of the soul i think people have more belief in elon than they do in jesus no joke no joke we have more belief that elon can change the world and man he is right like he's doing a lot of great things but jesus is our Elon, this is who we worship. This is who we give our lives for. I don't talk about pastors. I'm just talking about believers, man. Mm-hmm. Like we got to stop thinking this thing is like advanced Christianity when it's Christianity 101. Mm-hmm. Following Jesus and he redefines. Second Corinthians 5.17 isn't just talking about sin. It's talking about sin nature. Mm-hmm. Sin nature to be selfish. The old has passed. The new has begun. Mm-hmm. For if anyone is found in Christ, the key word, anyone in Christ, mm-hmm. they are a new creation. Right. Like, I just, you know, sometimes I'm like, uh, some, sometimes I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm like, some of the people I'm meeting, I'm like, have you experienced the love of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have one of those moments. I mean, I look. I don't. I don't like crying a lot, but I cry. I cry <laughs> in the presence of God. Me too. Because I'm the same I way. <laughs> I mean, like if you've experienced the love of God, there is no way that you can boast about the grace that you have been given, and there is no way 
from my vantage view, and I, and I, I want to say this, I'm sure this, is, this may be a little controversial. I don't know. I'm sure people are like, well, if you say it's not going to be controversial, if it is, then it's going to be controversial. Well, <laughs> here's the deal. Just because you vote for someone, it doesn't make you an unbeliever. Either way, if it's red or blue. Right. What it does, what makes you an unbeliever is the profession of your life and the love of God in your heart and life and how you are activated in mission because of what God has done in your life. Come on. It is the fruit of the spirit. Mm. Yeah. We always talk about speaking in tongues and, and uh, you know, being activated to be emboldened uh, through the supernatural gifts um, of witness uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We talk about these things, but where is the breaking of bread with our enemies? Mm. Where is the 70 times seven? Mm-hmm. What happened? I learned this from the church. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just we've drifted away from it to, to have cool experiences, to call them worship experiences, and to, yeah. or, or to take a political side and then just stay there forever. It's, it's almost like those, those were options. Like you can become super cool, super cool church that basically tries to stay out of everything mm-hmm. uh, and, and really addresses nothing, including sin. Or you can be the hyper-political church that only addresses politics and stuff like the Bible. We need to get back to, uh, you know, we aren't reformed, right? We believe the Spirit speaks and moves today, but we are still believers. We are still people who are sola scriptura as far as our foundation and what informs our faith. And yet we, we have abandoned this for political ends or power ends. The power ends are we want our church to grow. The political ends are we want to take a side and hammer. That's right. And it's... Like, man, you failed on both ends. All right. I I could literally talk with you all day on this, Clint. I had to cut off our conversation the other day. I'm like, I don't want to go do what I got to do. This is way better talking with Clint than doing anything else. It's been great. It's been great. Thanks for but connecting. You got to, let's say you got a room full of pastors of every nation, tribe, and tongue, um, every age group, background, you know, a couple of them couple of them wearing their BLM shirts, you know, and they're white with blue hair. And then they're, uh, then there's, you know, you just, you got a spectrum in the room. What charge do you give them on race in the church? You gotta, you gotta start with the why, not the what. That's what I would tell them. Why are you having the position that you're having? Mm. Not what's your position. So good. And if you can figure out the why, and if the spirit can lead you, you will tap into the frequency of reconciliation and addressing injustice everywhere you go. You don't have to worry about Sunday mornings only. You don't have to worry about affirmative action type policies. You don't have to worry about diversity campaigns. Mm. You don't have to worry about anything but allowing Jesus to be that why. If that is the center, and I'm telling you, we are getting to a place where God is going to promote those kind of people who are allowing his vision for reconciliation and justice. Mm. 
they are going to be the ones that see churches, neighborhoods, families reconciled, injustices bring, being brought to justice. I mean, these things are the vision that God has already. Let's not doubt God. Let's take on his why. Let's not just pick on, uh, take on the, the what of this world with the why of Jesus. Wow, so good. Thank you so much, Pastor Glenn Curvilla. Uh, powerful stuff, brilliant stuff. Bro, you just got a brilliant mind. Um, and I love the way you communicate it and, and get to the point and, and deal with it uh, with such clarity and yet nuance. Thank you so much for joining the day. Pastors, again, when you've done all you know to do, stand.